Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, Psalm 33, 1 through 11, Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 14, and John 21, 1 through 14. Listen close. I have a secret to tell, and you can't tell anyone. I'm about to break an Epworth rule. I'm going to talk politics. Now, I kind of have to because that is the theme of my sermon today. I think you'd all agree that American political scene in recent years has been anything but normal. Americans are probably more divided by politics now than any time we have seen in our lifetimes. It can get quite ugly. In fact, the divisions are so bad that there is a whole school of thought including politicians, pastors, and podcasters, on the topic of the causes and solutions to the current political environment. I applaud their efforts. But let's be honest, though. Politics has always been a mess, and not just here in the U.S., but everywhere. As a rule, the powerful rig the system to keep themselves in power and enrich themselves. Dissent is often crushed, either by being removed from the internet in places like China, being thrown in prison in places like Russia, or overpowered by copious amounts of misinformation here at home. Bad politics leads to such things as wars and famines. And unfortunately, examples of good politics are few and far between. It's enough to make hope seem naive. But we are an Easter people. We live in hope, and not a naive hope. When we look at the end of history, recorded in the book of Revelation, we see the disastrous results of mankind's politics. But we also see the wonderful truth that Jesus is forming his own nation, and all of us are offered citizenship. Even though today's reading from Revelation chapter 5 is about future events, it could just as easily apply to any time in history, including today. The fact is, this is a vital part of understanding the book of Revelation, so I'll go ahead and explain it right now. All prophecies in the Bible had meaning to the people who read them at the time they were written. It also has meaning for later generations, but it's somewhat different. For example, prophecies about the Antichrist and Babylon in Revelation would have been understood to mean certain things to the churches of Asia Minor who received John's letter. The Antichrist was probably understood to be Caesar, while the great Babylon was clearly the Roman Empire. Every generation has an Antichrist and a Babylon because these are truths about the human condition, which includes the lust for wealth and power. There will one day be a final Antichrist who will fulfill John's prophecy to a greater extent than all previous Antichrists, just as there will be a final Babylon which will dwarf all previous Christ-denying political powers. Similar to how we understand communion as past, present, and future all in one, so the prophecies of Revelation... This should take the wind out of the sails of anyone who claims so-and-so is the Antichrist, 
when any powerful person who sets themselves in opposition of Jesus is an antichrist to some degree. Mankind's politics has always been riddled with greed, ambition, and incompetence. In fact, I'll go so far as to say these are the rule, not the exception. In the Old Testament, God warned the people of Israel that when they rejected God's leadership through the judges and demanded a king, that the king would take their sons and daughters, their servants and donkeys, and the best of their fields and flocks. And that's with a God-fearing king. Very few political leaders throughout history have failed to make themselves rich while running a country. While the modern constitutional republics of the Western world aren't an exception to this rule, they do try to limit the excesses of personal gain. The desire for increasing amounts of power drives political leaders to do all kinds of horrific things, especially when they see their power slipping away. Just think of what our ancestors did to the Native Americans they found on land they wanted for themselves. And we haven't outgrown ambition today. Making troublesome people disappear or creating false narratives for one's own benefit are all too common in our world. And then there is simple incompetence. The governments of Africa, the Middle East, South and Central America, and much of Asia are constantly struggling with basic governance, often because of problems related to greed and ambition. No country is immune. Just look at how Washington, D.C. has recently devolved into fifth-grade bickering instead of the pragmatic compromise and governing we had in much of the last century it would appear that our political system is now designed to weed out competent people. In fact, poor governance is directly related to the first three judgments in Revelation chapter 6. When the first seal was broken, John saw a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. This is an image of political leaders rising to power through any means necessary, including violence. The first seal isn't merely a judgment from on high. It's politics as usual, where average citizens are but pawns to the powerful and individual rights are squashed. The second seal goes hand in hand with the first, a red horse whose rider brings war with a great sword. This is the all-too-familiar scene of a strong country invading a weak neighbor like Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Napoleon Bonaparte, Adolf Hitler, and now Vladimir Putin. The third seal, with the black horse, is an image of famine. This is not a situation caused merely by unfavorable weather patterns as in ancient Egypt in the time of Joseph. Given our global food supply chains, the only reason food shortages exist today is because of bad politics. There are hungry people and plenty of food, yet the food never reaches them. Given all the energy that goes into politics today, it is clear that we think our political leaders should be able to make our daily lives better. They should be able to keep crime low maintain our roads and bridges, meet the basic needs of the poor and the elderly, and so on 
and so on. Despite being let down time and again, we yearn for competent leadership. We want a country where everything works as it should, and we can trust our leaders. This might be hard to hear, but the United States of America is not that country. It never has been. We want to believe in American exceptionalism, but it's wrong. And if America isn't exceptional, then while we should love our country, we should learn to hold on lightly. So where is this exceptional country that we long for? Our reading today in Revelation 5 tells us that Jesus is creating just such a nation. In John's vision, he sees four heavenly creatures and 24 elders worshiping before the throne of God. When Jesus is shown as worthy to open the scroll of God's judgment with the seven seals, they sing a song of praise saying, Worthy art thou to take the scroll and open its seals, for thou wast slain, and by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and hast made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Did you catch that? Jesus is forming a nation out of faithful people. And this vision is so glorious that it causes those around the throne to worship in song. Last week I preached about Jesus as pastor. This week we get a glimpse of Jesus as a nation builder. This song of praise includes three aspects which will make Jesus, the Jesus nation greater than any other. It includes people from every ethnicity, the people will have purpose, and their power on earth will be unquestioned. The text is clear that the Jesus nation will include people from every ethnicity, black, Hispanic, Asian, etc., even whites. His death on the cross paid the ransom for every citizen of his nation. In the creation, Adam and Eve were the only representatives of the Imago Dei, the image of God. We see male and female equally included in this image bearing. But now at the eschaton, we not only see male and female, but every race on earth equally included. The full beauty and variety of the Imago Dei is present. And I would take it one step further and say that no one in the Jesus nation is any higher than anyone else because they all got there through God's grace. Nobody earned it. It is also worth noting that contrary to Jew Jewish apocalyptic writings, the faithful in Revelation 5.9 are described as from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And in Re Revelation 7.9, as a great multitude which no man could number. By contrast, Old Testament apocalyptic writings describe the faithful as being few in number. When a work within a given genre breaks from the norms of that genre, it's worth paying attention. Jesus isn't leading a small gaggle, but rather a great and glorious host. All the citizens of the Jesus nation have a single purpose, to be priests to God. 
Isn't it wonderful to have purpose? People all around us are literally dying for lack of purpose. Do you think people commit suicide when they're filled with a sense of purpose? Being a nation of priests might sound odd to our ears, but it's actually just the fulfillment of what we are striving to be right now. As followers of Christ, we may be teachers, nurses, or rocket scientists, but that's only for, what, 50 years at the most? But our purpose goes beyond just our job, and we never retire from our purpose. In the Jesus nation, we find citizens who know what they are about. Remember what it was like living in the United States around 1995? Sorry to some of our younger acolytes, they don't. The Soviet Union had collapsed, and the United States was the unrivaled superpower on Earth. We felt as safe as it is possible to feel in our fallen world. Some people even began to question the need for NATO. That sense of safety from external threat awaits, awaits those of the Jesus nation. Remember the song of praise ends with, they shall reign on the earth. Reigning connotes authority over others. Not in a negative sense, but in a sense of not being at risk from others. In other words, safety. I think I should pause here and add a point of detail. You are likely right now imagining a nation like all others where you can point to it on a map. While that is where we'll eventually end up, the Jesus nation doesn't start that way at all. It starts just like we are now. Christians spread around the world, faithfully trying to obey God. The more Christ-like we become, the more we become aware of being part of a kingdom that includes all ethnicities, has a singular purpose, and is eternally secure. Doesn't the Jesus nation sound amazing? Don't we all yearn to be part of that? How much time and energy do we spend discussing or worrying about politics today? You can ask Mindy, I sure do. Just think about the hundreds of millions of dollars that goes into every election cycle in the U.S. alone. And for what? Just one more flawed person in office for a short time, only to be replaced by the next flawed person who will likely undo half the accomplishments of the previous guy. Won't it be wonderful when all that goes away? I said earlier that we need to hold lightly to America. The U.S. is not the promised land, and it's collective hubris to believe we are exceptional. American history is fraught with sinful and incompetent leaders, just like every other nation on earth. That's not to say we shouldn't love our country. We should. It has given us so much. Several Upworthies have served in our nation's armed forces, and that's an honorable thing. But we should learn to love our country and hold it lightly. As Christians, we are pilgrims. This is not our home. We were meant for so much more than America can possibly offer. 
We were meant for the exceptional nation, the only exceptional nation. This is why we need to hold lightly to America. If we can't do that, we forget our true home and our true purpose to be a nation of priests to God. The song of praise in Revelation 5 isn't just hope for some distant future. It's hope for you and me right now. As I mentioned earlier, the Jesus nation starts as a movement of Christians around the world. That means it's already begun. We just need to lift our heads to see it. And in this early phase of the Jesus nation, we are not just priests, but also ambassadors. Right now, Jesus says to each of us, I want you to go into the world as my ambassador priest to show just how wonderful my nation is and that the price of citizenship has already been paid. Flee the pain of your sin environment and seek refuge as a citizen of my eternal kingdom. Come home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.